Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to another episode of Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. Where we go out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, including the bad ones, so you don't have to. My name's Craig Fields. And I am still David Long. (laughs) We've made it to week three, despite uh, Jumpergate, which I think I've resoundingly won. Yes, well the votes are in, folks. Uh, A huge turnout at the polls. Um, Thank you to everyone who voted, all 41 of you. And at the moment, 68% of you are clearly unwell as you do believe that that poo slash rust colour jumper it's not poo it was poo um not as bad as the jumper this week which is (laughs) even worse it has holes in it it's moth-eaten i mean how long has jeremy corbyn lent you that sweater for stop it there is the jumper gate is just going to continue every week will continue there is exactly five hours left on our well, actually, by the time this goes out, it will be over. Yeah, I will concede. I have, I, 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 I accept defeat. You are a fashion god, <laughs> and poo and rust is clearly in. So, ladies and gentlemen, get down to your local um, secondhand jumper shop and get yourself a nice poo-coloured jumper. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, what reviews do we have this week, David? We have a number of reviews. You will be reviewing the Phantom Thread. We'll both be having a look at Journey's End. Uh, I'll be having a look at Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Unfortunately, we've both seen Winchester and we will be reviewing that. And finally, uh, I will be reviewing Den of Thieves. Uh, and as usual, we'll be doing our box office rundown analysis for this the weekend. This week, sponsored by Nicolas Cage. It won't be. St- it, it's it, not. It's not. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, you can play your little jingle that you've made and we'll do a real one. OK, we All will right. be we will be bringing you a jingle. And this week it is sponsored by Nicolas Cage. Uh, we've got emails this week, or one email, or an email that I'd like to read out. Uh, let's have a look at that, shall we? We have hundreds of emails. We've, we've been in flux with emails, but this one in particular, Craig, isn't that right? We're going to read this one out. Yeah, we are. Uh, so this email comes from Charlie Edmonds, and it goes, Hello, Craig and David. Hello. Very much enjoying your podcast. I am writing to share an experience I had, as the subject of this email implies watching bad mums with mums. Uh, December 2017, it was a few weeks before Christmas, and what better way to get into the Christmas spirit than to venture out with my mum's book club to watch Bad Mum's Christmas. Uh, Loved the first film and fancied a bit of a laugh on a Tuesday night. So me and all the 50-year-old mums went along to the 8pm viewing. Cinema was packed, lots of girly nights taking place, and a few quite unashamed blokes who'd (laughs) been dragged along. The advert started and I'm thinking, oh great, I've got the only three seats next to me. Time to stretch my legs and take up the whole armrest. But no, after the film had already started, in come two women around their 30s and sit next to me. Never mind, can't be helped. A few minutes into the film, already had a good few laughs, the woman next to me opens her bag, ruffles around and brings out a bottle of something, looking suspiciously like rum or vodka. (laughs) <laughs> she takes her McDonald's hot chocolate she's been McDonald's? sipping. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, she's been sipping on some McDonald's hot chocolate and it, by the sounds of it, she's going to pour some of that into it. Um, Charlie says, cheapskate, didn't even buy it from Starbucks right outside the cinema mm. and starts pouring her liquor into the hot chocolate. I quietly elbow my mum to inform her of this, shaking our heads, but really thinking, God, what a bloody good idea. Halfway through the film, they're pissed. They're chatting <laughs> about their shitty husbands and annoying kids. Very frustrating. But we ignore it and carry on enjoying the film. Uh, They continue to get louder and louder, talking about something completely unrelated to the film, laughing as loud as they can. Finally, my mum has had enough. She leans over and tells them to shut up. The woman further from me starts back, and her chavvy, intoxicated voice starts on my mum. People behind start shushing, and I'm just sat there, awkwardly moving my head. And I'm just, it's just like a tennis game, watching the insults being passed back and forth. My mum then pipes down and sits back in her seat, mumbling some comebacks. Even after this ordeal, the woman didn't stop sharing their crap life stories with the whole of row E. 
probably the worst bit was when the lights came on and the credits started rolling and we've just got uh, we've got to ask them to stand up so we can get past classy uh probably uh, suppose it was the a bit ironic going along to the film where the main plot is about mums who drink in malls and steal Christmas trees from stores when the audience are doing pretty much the same thing. Anyway, I'm sure lots of people have similar experiences at the cinema, but thought you might enjoy reading about this one. Looking forward to listening to the next upload, Charlie. Well, thank you, Charlie, for your email. And I do believe this is probably going back to last week's episode where I had a bit of a rant uh, when we went to see Insidious. More of a full mental breakdown. Yeah. Um, yes, thank you for letting us know about your experience at the cinema. It wasn't obviously a particularly good one either, mm. um, but I hope you enjoyed the film. I, I haven't seen this one. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Have you seen the first one? No, I haven't. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I've seen the first one. What, what was the film again? Bad Moms. Uh, Christmas one. Just have a have a... Um... A walk through Hamilton Centre and there's plenty of that anyway, so <laughs> oh, well, we might have to cut that out. <laughs> Sorry, I've now offended mums as well as vegans. And Corbynistas. And Corbynistas. Mm. Anyway, if you would like to get in touch with us, please, as always, email or tweet us. We have a new Facebook page set up as well. That'll be available in the uh, description, so you can like us on there as well. Um, but we do really want to grow this podcast, and with you, the listeners you can help. If you subscribe via iTunes or uh, via the podcast app on your iPhone or iPad, please do rate us. The more ratings we get, the more visible we are to new listeners. Mm. Uh, And also do share on Facebook, on Twitter and all other social media forms that you use. Uh, So without further ado, let's go on to the box office analysis. Box office rundown. Sponsored by Nicholas Gage. (laughs) That was alright. What about the mum bit? What about... This is the Box Office Rundown. Brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. <laughs> so that's our new jingle. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, very dramatic, Craig. Well done. Uh, please do get in touch with the show and let us know what you think. Uh, so the box office rundown this week is for the weekend of February the 2nd to February the 4th. Uh, what have we got, David? Number one, The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman is at number one, folks. It grossed £2.1 million again at the weekend. It gives it a total gross of £22.1 million, And it's now been in the box office for six weeks. Which is just crazy. This film is just doing so well. The film is actually getting more and more popular. Um, and I've bumped into quite a few friends up at the cinema, and, and I've yet to meet someone who doesn't like this, and not only like mm. it, really like it. Um, it's it's continuing to do well. I can see this being in the box office for 10, 12, maybe more weeks. I mean, that's it, a it really, really is going to really hang around. Mm. Well, it seems to have knocked off uh, someone else. It was, it was at the top spot last week, can you remember? I can't. No, me neither. No, it was, it was Darkest Hour, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Darkest Hour last weekend. Last weekend, um, and it's knocked it off quite quite a fair bit because Coco is now in second as well. So Coco has overtaken Darkest Hour because I remember Darkest Hour had take was taking the hot the top spot from Coco, mm. uh, and now they've swapped around again as well. So Coco has taken one point seven million pounds at the weekend and has grossed ten point one million, and it's been in the box office for three weeks. Uh, I'm really glad to actually to see that there because it is mm. a really, really good film. Um, I think a, a lot of parents have taken their kids last weekend to to see this. They've taken your advice, Craig. They have. They uh, flocked to the cinema. <laughs> uh, and then what's up at number three? So Greatest Showman 1, Coco 2. Three is The Darkest Hour. Gary Oldman is still, still there and thereabouts. Um, almost certainly going to win the Oscar for Best Actor. That took 1.6 million at the weekend. It's now grossed 18.5 million. It's been out for a month now. But it's still there. Just and another ridiculously well-received film, really. Mm. Again, we would recommend seeing that. Yep. Um, it, there, we, we did say in our review that it had flaws in the film, but again, it's, it's just a really great film to go and see at the cinema. It is worth it. Uh, next up, we have Early Man. That's uh, grossed 
by 1.5 million in in the weekend and then grossed 3.9 million. Uh, it's been out for two weeks. Um, so that's actually doing really, really well as well. Um, I've had a few people say that they they, they didn't like it. Hmm? Um, uh, to be fair, they were quite... They were older people in the sense they were more our age. Um, but it's not a film for, for our age particularly. I mean, there's obviously fans of Wallace and Gromit and other Aardman productions as well. Um, but I, I feel it, I, I got laughs out of it. I really enjoyed it. Um, and kids will really, really enjoy it as well. Um, next up after that, we have Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Um, that's been in uh, the box office for two weeks. And that's weekend grossed 1.3 million and 4.1 in total. Um, we're going to be reviewing this a bit later on. Uh, and I can see I can see why it's there at the moment, but we'll talk about that in the review. Mm. Number six, um, New Inn. Uh, Den of Thieves. So it's been out for one week um, and it grossed 1.1 million at the weekend um, and that comes straight in at number six. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that will not be in the top ten next week. Um, I really don't see this film doing that well in the box office. I saw it yesterday and I will be reviewing that later in the show and telling you why I don't think it's going to do that well at the box office. Hmm. And after that, we have The Post. Post at seven. I also saw this this week as well. Craig reviewed it on our first show, and I was very impressed with this film. Uh, I thought Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep were both very good. Um, Meryl Streep in particular. She's got another Oscar nomination. She's been nominated, I think it's 24, 25 times. Countless times. Um, and yeah, look, this film um, can only work with good acting, good directing and a good script, and it had all three, because the storyline is fundamentally government secrets, does the newspaper publish them, yes or no? That's it. Um, so the storyline isn't particularly exciting. Is, there isn't a lot you can do with that storyline because it's a historical film. So it, de- it, de- it depends on the acting, the script and the directing, and I thought all three of them were good. The yeah. film... Yeah. Builds the pace up very well. It came together very, very well, um, and it has been well received. Mm. And I think the post and the darkest hour, in terms of being historical dramas, have done have done really, really well, um, and they're still going really strong in the box office. Mm. Uh, what's after that? After that, um, we have Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, which is starting to take its foot off the gas a little bit now. It took 0.9 million at the weekend. But it has been in the box office now for seven weeks and has grossed a total of 35.3 million. Of all the films um, in the box office, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle is one of my favourites. I think it's it, it's brilliant. I think it's a really good film. So it's, it's an entertaining film that most people will go and, you know, should go and see mm. in the cinema then. Yeah. So, you know, on the basis of what this podcast is about, this is the one that you'd really recommend going to the, see, yeah. to the cinema to see. Okay. Um, I mean, as, as seven weeks as well. You go Greatest Showman's at six weeks. It's actually grossed significantly more in just in, in an extra week. Yes, which goes yeah. to show how well it is actually doing, despite it being at, you know number seven in the box office. And I saw a, a video on uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's Twitter page um, only a few days ago, so at the weekend, where I believe this is number one in the US box office. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's doing even better in America. Um, and like I said, I'm not surprised. It's a really good film. Um, and I would say it's a great film for anyone 12 and above. Yeah. And it's not a number, number seven. It's not number eight, sorry. Oh, it's number eight. Oh, <laughs> Craig's yeah, maths no, again. Oh, no, not again. Uh, so at number nine, we have three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, took 0.8 million this weekend. Uh, it's grossed 9 million altogether. It's been in the uh, box office for a month now. This is a fantastic film. Um, Francis McDormand looks set to win um, the Oscar here. Um, very, very good. Really couldn't fault it. Um, There's quite a bit of competition for, for this Oscar. There is, yeah. I think we're planning on doing an Oscar special, actually, mm. um, because there is there is a bit of competition. And we both, we can say now, we saw I, Tonya this week. We did. We'll be reviewing that ne- next week. Not sure it'll be next week. Possibly the week after. Possibly, yeah. Um, and I was very impressed with Margot Robbie. She she was really good. Who, I have to confess, I've been calling Margaret. <laughs> for, for a long time. For a long, long time. <laughs> Margaret. Um, but no, I thought she was... I, the film overall um, had faults. It wasn't 
perfect, but I thought her performance was brilliant. Mm. Uh, she's 28 to 1 for the Oscar. And well, I, I don't think she'll win, but it was yeah. a solid, solid performance. But we will detail more about that film in our following shows coming up. Uh, and finally, in the box office, we have Phantom Fred. We do. Mm. Um, this is being reviewed on today's show by none other than Mr. Craig Fields. Uh, I haven't seen this film. I was struck down with the man flu this week <laughs> and I was resting in bed. But Craig went and he went fully equipped with cheeses and meats and port. No, I didn't. He didn't because um, he's boring. He probably took and made some sandwiches, probably knowing him. Um, no food in the cinema. No food in the cinema. But we have a Daniel Day-Lewis film. Um, it's been well received by the critics. But first week, it's taken 0.6 million and it creeps in at number 10 and this is a film that i do not think will be there again next week because i just don't think it's going to attract big audiences no but it, it i think it will do well at the oscars in some regards and some in, in what it's up for um i don't think daniel day lewis is going to win anything if he is up for the oscar i'm not sure he is he, nominated he is. again I, think. I, I don't think he'll walk away with that one um but apparently it's his last ever performance um he's going to retire well, well, we'll touch upon this because when you review the film, Daniel Day-Lewis is known throughout Hollywood for not accepting bad scripts. Mm. If you look at his list, I might list uh, them later in the show, of the films that he's been in and the performances he gives. For example, There Will Be Blood. He spent two years getting into character for that film um, and he's he's a phenomenal actor Um but I just don't think with exciting films like The Greatest Showman in there and Jumanji and Three Billboards, this kind of stuff, and the the, the um, reception Darkest Hours getting, I just don't think Phantom Thread's going to be a success at the box office. Doesn't mean it's a bad film. No, no, no. Well, it's, it's like Shawshank Redemption, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, Shawshank Redemption, considered one of the greatest films of all time, absolutely bombed at the box office, made almost no money whatsoever. No, and it's now... a cult classic i'd say it is indeed if you haven't seen that film watch it fantastic yeah so that's our box office rundown for this week um we're going to go straight in for the to the reviews no um, we're not we're not we have to give it the full rundown like we normally do oh yeah go on then sponsored by nicholas cage <laughs> and not the bees number one the greatest showman number two coco number three darkest hour at four we have early man Five, Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Six, The Den of Thieves. Not, not The Den of Thieves, just Den of Thieves. Seven, The Post. Eight, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Nine, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And ten, Make Sure You Take a Cheese Board, It's Phantom Thread. And now we're going to go into the reviews. So now this is the review for Phantom Thread. Uh, this is a film uh, set in the 1950s and we have Daniel Day-Lewis playing Reynolds Woodcock. Uh, he's a renowned dressmaker um, whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman um, who becomes his his muse and and his lover. Um, when we saw the trailer for this film, we did think this was going to be particularly heavy um, and and possibly not enjoyable. Mm. But as we said in our box office rundown, Daniel Day Lewis doesn't take rubbish films. He does not. No. Um, what films has Daniel Day Lewis done that? So if you look at Daniel Day-Lewis's career, it is pretty incredible. He's had six Oscar nominations, uh, having won three Oscars. He's been nominated for seven British Academy Awards, BAFTAs, which he's won four. He's also won two Golden Globes. And obviously he's been in fantastic films like There Will Be Blood, Gangs of New York, obviously one of his early earlier films, which was The Last of the Mohicans. Uh, he obviously won the Oscar for his portrayal of Abraham Lincoln. Um, and he doesn't accept, if you look, there's three, four, five-year gaps between a lot of his films because he just doesn't accept bad scripts. So he's renowned for doing quality work and he is a fantastic actor. And I had no doubt that he would be brilliant in this film. But like we said, when we saw the trailer, three minutes of Daniel Day-Lewis creating things with cloth and it just looked heavy and mm. slow and... but. I was particularly surprised by this film in the sense that there was some really funny moments in it. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of, I suppose it's natural laughter that you can you, you generate from it because in the film it's not particularly actually funny in the sense of what's going on, but it, it to the viewer it will make you laugh. And, and we go through the film 
with lots of peaks and troughs with, with things like that. And that really does represent um, Reynolds's state of mind throughout the film. He's very fastidious. So, you know, there's, there's so much breakfast going on in this film. So much breakfast. Is he fond of a breakfast? He is fond of a breakfast. And I'm assuming that isn't just a couple of bits of Weetabix and a no, and no, orange no. Juice. There's a lot of lot of breakfast going on, um, and and he hates having his mornings disrupted. So you have to eat breakfast with him quietly, and oh. this goes on throughout the whole <laughs> film. But it's very humorous, as uh, you know, with his muse Alma going through the the mornings with him and you know scraping the toast really loudly, and he gets really fucked off by it. And it's actually really really quite funny to see these these moments unfold. Um, and and I think they were supposed to be particularly funny as well. Um, that's how it was scripted. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson has done a really good job of writing this film and directing it. Um, but what is particularly interesting from a point of view, from a videographer point of view, is that there's actually no cinematographer credited to this film. Um, and what Paul Thomas Anderson has said is that they all grouped together, the camera operators, best boys all of these people got together to to like the actual film and i def- i think they did a really great job of that they really created the tension when there was tension needed with the lighting um and they went through the entire film creating something that looked really really beautiful um other other na- notable actors and characters within this film you've got um uh, cyril who is um reynolds's sister um who is the stern one you know mm. she keeps Reynolds on track because he is a particularly difficult character to be around um you know one minute he's high as a kite and the next minute he's really really down and has to work doesn't like interruptions and you know to make a film like this that's going to be you know so much up and down for such a long time could be a difficult watch and and we did think this was going to be from the trailer but actually it's it's some it does hold your attention really really well there's some really great lovely beautiful moments within the film but i don't think it's going to do very well with the audiences out there and Mm. and i can see already the popularity of it from our box office rundown and and from you know critic scores as well it's not adding up so from a critical point of view this is a really well-made film Mm. and it's got six oscar nominations hasn't it including best film uh, daniel day lewis for best actor and when i saw the trailer i knew this was going to be a quality film but is this the sort of thing that people are going to flock to see? Well, no. No. Because it's Daniel Day-Lewis in a heavy performance making dresses, a bit of a love story. In a sense, it's come out at the right time and at the wrong time. The wrong time because of the other films that are out with mm. it, as we said in the box office rundown. But at the same time, it's come out at the right time for Oscars. Mm. Um, it will do very, very well critically. It will do very, very well at the Oscars, I, I think. Um, I mean it's difficult to tell at this minute in time but i still think it will do do really really well from my point of view it was an enjoyable film to watch but i think there's going to be a lot of audience members that are not going to enjoy this film is it worth going to see on the big screen is an entirely different question because i think this is something people might enjoy watching in their homes because these days with the the sound systems that you get mm. and the TVs that you get in, in your living rooms are perfectly adequate on, for viewing a film of this nature, this drama, essentially. Um, the soundtrack was fantastic. Has right. it got an Oscar nomination for Best Soundtrack? I think it has. Um, I wonder if we can have a look at that. Because you talk about it doing well at the Oscars. Daniel Day-Lewis won't win Best Actor because that's going to go to Gary Oldman. Best Film, I don't think it'll win that either. Um, obviously best original song that's going to be a competition between Coco and The Greatest Showman yeah so this is where I think it's going to be very difficult to Mm. see whether or not it will win at the Oscars I mean it's it is critically well received but will it top the other films that are going to be at the Oscars this year I don't think so I I think this probably epitomises one of those films that when it comes out on DVD it will have on the DVD cover nominated for mm. six Oscars, but it'll be one of those films that probably won't win any because, like you said, it sounds like it's well-directed, it's well-acted, it's well-scripted, and it's an enjoyable watch, but it's not going to set the world on fire. No, I agree with that. So if it's, is it worth seeing in the cinema? Well, Craig, let me ask you the question. Craig, The Phantom Thread, is it worth it? 
No. Ooh. Oh, I know. It's controversial because it is worth seeing in the cinema if you're the type of person that will go and see the dramas and you're always going to go to the cinema to see those sorts of films. Mm. But if you're somebody who enjoys en- being entertained on a really like, high level in the sense of like Jumanji and Greatest Showman, those are the films that you're going to see. So at the moment, it's not worth going to see at the cinema. If it was another time, I think it would be worth going to see at the cinema. Um, you know, we've got Journey's End as well. Mm. Um, I think that would be worth possibly seeing over this. Possibly. Possibly. Um, there's, there, you know, there's a lot of other films that I'd recommend over this film, but it is a great film. So, yeah. And to finish, Daniel Day-Lewis's last film, has he gone out with a bang? Um, I think there, there have been better mm. um, to go out with a bang, um, but still a great performance. Yeah, a solid actor. This will make it now seven Academy Award nominations. Fantastic actor. Um, So The Phantom Thread, Mr. Field says it's a good film, but probably not worth seeing in the cinema. Indeed. Not again. (laughs) Um, We're now going to be doing our second film review, which is Journey's End. Craig, if you'd like to give the listeners a little bit of a rundown about what this film is about. Yeah, so this is based on a satirical play um that was written by rc sheriff um this came out quite a long time ago i believe um and has been very popular with a lot of gcse a level studies um and i i recall studying this myself uh for a level Mm. and it was a very good satirical play um and you know i really did want to go and see this in the cinema and, and we did and you know i believe they stuck very close to the original material, um, which is definitely a, a plus for this film. Um, so the film is about um, a group of officers who are led by Officer Stan Hope, um, and they are in the trenches of war-torn France during World War One, And it's about their lives in the trenches um, and what goes on in the trenches, essentially. Mm. Um, and it's very character-driven, isn't it? It is, yeah. So the film is set in 1918, so we're coming right towards the end of the war, which is quite important because you see from not only the main characters but the supporting characters and the extras as well this real sense that people are tired, people are fed up, people are just at the end of their tether, really. They've seen four years of horror unfold in front of them Um, and this particular story is set in a trench where there's been a standoff with the Germans who are no more than what 30 40 yards away from them Mm. and there's been no offensive from either side in about a year and what you have is you have groups of soldiers basically doing a week in the trenches a week out or several weeks in several weeks out Um, and everyone knows that this German attack is coming it's not a matter of if it's coming it's a matter of when it's coming Um, and we find out, obviously, uh, through <laughs> the film um, when this German attack is due to happen, and then we see the response of the three main characters in the film. Um, and the three characters are: we have um, we've got Paul Bettany, uh, we've got Sam Claff- Claflin, uh, Asa Butterfield. Uh, and there's a few other notable characters uh, or actors mm. within the film as well. You've got Toby Jones as Mason, Stephen Graham as Trotter, uh, Robert Glenister as the Colonel. There's a lot of really great British actors in yeah, this film. Yeah, so Stephen Graham, a lot of people know him. He's the Liverpudlian uh, actor. Um, he was in stuff like This Is England. He's been in a lot of British yeah, films. Yeah, he's been in a lot. Um, yeah. Paul Bettany was brilliant. Uh, Sam Claflin, who plays Captain Stanhope. You wanted to touch a little bit about upon him because this is a more of a serious endeavour for him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's taken his time out of being in a lot of rom-coms like with Me Before You and Love, Rosie. These are the typical films that he's been in. And this is definitely a, a much harder role to yeah. hit for him to get his teeth into. And it's good to see him getting that range of films um, and, and actually getting them and, and doing very well in, in, in these films as well. Mm. Um, you know, um, Shall we go to a clip about this film as well? Oh, yeah. So this is a clip um, from the character Osborne, which is played by Paul Bettany. It's a beautiful clip. Um, please enjoy. Hello, uh, Robert. Good morning, son. My darling Joan. When you read this, I don't imagine that for one moment you'll feel bitter or resentful. 
morning, well, But you will find no comfort in the thought that I went down fighting for my country. You are too clear-headed for that, my darling. There is a job to be done. It ought never to have arisen, but that is not the point. I have had so very much out of life. But all these youngsters do not realize how unlucky they are. So new are they to their very existence. So what that clip really does well there is to to highlight, you know, the sounds, you know, the footsteps in the trenches, um, and then Paul Bettany's voiceover coming in and, and really giving us a sense of what it's like mentally and physically being in these trenches. And and the film does really well to showcase all of this throughout the entire the entire movie. Um you know what? What was it you were going to say about the trenches? Because you had a really good point, didn't you? In terms of the way the film was, yeah, yeah, uh, shot. So what I love about this film is there are almost no wide-angle shots. There's almost no aerial shots, so you don't get a sense that this is we're observers looking in on this film. The film is shot incredibly close, so the camera work is always incredibly close to the actors' faces, to the actors' feet. And you really do feel like you're in the trenches. Mm, you get so, that point of view. So it's the the the, the camera almost represents uh, an invisible soldier, is how I would say the ca- the camera work is done. So you really feel like you're in there. And there's one particular scene which I absolutely love, where you've got one of the main characters walking through the trenches, um, two main characters actually, and the camera is just following their feet, and you see them walking through the. Oh, you know the awful conditions of the trenches you know and you, and it really focuses on their feet and all the mud and 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 and, mm. and all the things in the trenches you know and all you can hear over the top of the of the footsteps is the camaraderie of the soldiers wishing each other well asking how each other's days are and they all know each other by name you know and you get this real sense of the closeness that these men had in the trenches so it's beautifully shot and really intimately shot. Um, and it is a really, really superb film. And it's done very well to to draw the audience in. And I believe there's a, there's a certain type of audience that, that go to see this, but, but I think there'll be a lot wider range of audience going to see this as well. People like, you know, mums and dads maybe wanting to show, you know, younger teenagers, you know, what this was about. I mean, and, and the teenagers who are studying this for GCSE or A-level will certainly go and see this because mm. it really will bring to life the play in a, in a way that it's different to going to see it in as a play and it's more accessible certainly as well. Um, you know, that I think will, will work. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this film um, and the reason I enjoyed it is because it is just a brutally honest film. If I was to describe this film in one word, it would be that, it would be honest. And you reviewed uh, 12 Strong last week. You mm. weren't a fan of it. You weren't a fan of its pro-America outlook, how it glorified war. Yeah. This doesn't do that. No. This just gives a really gritty and honest and painful look at what life was like in the trenches, not only from a physical perspective. we I mean, I can't even imagine how awful it must have been there, but the mental toll it had on these men, and we see that through... Um, uh, the disintegration of Officer Stanhope, his mental breakdown, as he becomes more and more reliant on on whiskey and whatever else he can get his hands on to to numb that pain. You know, he's been leading his his um, battalion for three years, and he's seen some terrible things. And look, if you if you want to go to the cinema and see a real action-packed, shoot-them-up war film, then this probably isn't for you. No, that would be 12 strong. That would be 12 strong. But what this is, is beautifully shot, honest, the script is solid. Um, And what I like about it as well is when there is action, because there is a bit of action in this, I think it's really, really effective. I know some critics have said, oh, the action in this is a bit weak. But I don't think it is, because it's not dramatic and over the top. It's a little bit clumsy, and it's a little bit... 
natural. Yeah, exactly. It's natural. Yeah. You know, World War One in the trenches, the conditions were awful. You're not going to have, you know, in the Hollywood films where people are running with, you know, guns in each hand and doing cartwheels and, you know, you expect Dwayne The Rock Johnson to pop up with a, you know, a machine gun. You're not going to get that in this. It's a real honest, gritty analysis, brilliant acting. Oh, and the soundtrack. Mm. Um, As you heard in the clip. Yeah, a, a beautiful soundtrack, an eerie soundtrack. I've got to say, um, this is... Since we've started the podcast, this is one of my favourite films that I've seen. Um, very moving, uh, and I really would recommend this to, to people of all ages. Mm. I'd say this is up there with one of mine as well. Mm. Um, there is one other, which we're going to review next week, that I think is my top top film so far. Um, but this, this is certainly something to go and see. So, David, is it worth it? Yes, uh, Journey's End is definitely worth it. It's... Uh, a moving film, it's beautifully shot, it's very intimate, it's very close, worth seeing in the cinema for that. Mm. Um, and there's some, there are some 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 brilliant performances, lovely character development. Um, and we talked about, we spoke about the futility of war, um, touching upon 12 Strong. This just shows the true horrors of war, particularly trench warfare, these men basically waiting to die. Mm. Um, and you see through the three main characters, um, the effect that this has on them. Um, it's a really good film. Would really recommend seeing it. And yes, if you're studying um, uh, war literature um, at GCSE or A-level, I'd really go and uh, mm. get down to the cinema and see this. 100%. Yeah, so that's our review of Journey's End. Uh, it's now time for our third review, which is Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Craig, please do tell us about this film. So this is a continuation of the Maze Runner saga and the uh, the film is called Maze Runner The Death Cure as you know and there were two previous films The Maze Runner and Maze Runner the uh, what was the other film called? Uh, the Scorch Trials. Now I hadn't seen The Scorch Trials before seeing this but I had seen the first film and I really really loved the first film. Um, my brother also really really enjoyed um, the, the, all three of these films. And the reason why these are good films is because they're just action-packed, <laughs> non-stop action, action-packed, and, and great cinema going. And what this film actually is about is Thomas, you know, finally embarking on his final mission to find this this cure for the deadly disease known as the flare, which, you know, turns people into what appear to be zombies, um, and this is what the Maze Runner saga has been building up to, this epic finale. Uh, let's go to a clip about this film. So that was the clip. Craig, that was just 20 seconds of explosions. I know, because basically every single clip that was available to us was explosions. <laughs> and essentially what this film is, is about is just lots of explosions, action after action. You know, it, the film starts straight into the action. And, you know, and actually very, very entertaining. And I really, really enjoyed this film. I really enjoyed the how high impact the 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 action was and it was really really relevant um you know if the only downside to this film was was the character thomas or the, or the person playing him dylan o'brien i i thought he was not that great i thought he was very bland and boring and really didn't carry the film very well i you know i thought um newt the guy um uh, thomas brody sangster i think he's great he was in um uh um What's the film? Richard Curtis. I Craig, I don't know. Love actually. Love it. Oh yes, yes of course. Yes, yeah, no. yes, yes. He was great. He was really fantastic. And Will Poulter as well, who plays Galley, you know, another British actor. You know, they they were mm. really, really great in the film. But Dylan O'Brien, what a load of tosh. Like I thought he was poor. Really poor. And the the critics haven't been very kind to this film, have they? But you but you seem to suggest that the audience is. I mean, it, it's, when we say it hasn't been kind, I mean it's it's above average. But it's they you know they don't. 
I don't think that it's, it's a film for them to enjoy. It's a kid's film, essentially, at the end of the day, a film where dads can take their young teenage boys to go and see a, a high, you know, an action-packed film that doesn't have anything that's, you know, really bad for, for kids to see, I suppose. But yeah, um, to be fair, it's, it's based on a novel that's, that's for kids or, you know, young teens and stuff as well. So it's a film kids are going to want to go and see as well anyway. And I think that's spoken quite loudly in, in the box office as well. Um, you know, this. I mean, the opening scene. I have to keep saying about that. It was really, really good. It was just straight into this train heist, um, and it, you know, it was about ten minutes long. And I yeah, train heist. Yeah, it was really, really good. Liam Neeson wasn't involved. Was no, he? Liam Neeson was certainly not involved because this had more action than the commuter. And actually had more of a plot, I think. And people actually knew what the outcome was going to be in the end of this film. So uh, on that note, I thought, yeah, much better than The Commuter. So, Craig, Maze Runner, Death Cure. Is it worth it? Yes, really worth it. You know, you, you've got to go to the cinema to see a film like this. You know, the explosions, the soundtrack. And the, there seems to be a lot of explosions. Oh, just so incessant amount of explosions in this, in this film. Uh, but it's done well, so it's not just a, you know two hours of things blowing up there no. is a good plot and you say that yeah there is a good plot i mean it ended a bit poorly i thought but you know there's going to be you believe there's going to be a prequel couple yeah more? i mean there's two more books to do yet which are prequels to the to the original maze runner um and i think from on the back of the success the success of this trilogy there will be two more films to come i think so there you have it craig's review of maze runner the death cure um if you're someone who likes explosions and you like the previous two films this is definitely for you Get down to the cinema and check it out. And so the next review we're going to be doing is Winchester. (laughs) The trumpet is out. The trumpet has come out for Winchester. Totally worth the trumpet. Oh, dear. Where do you start with this film? I don't know. I'm going to let you start with it. So Winchester. Firstly, we have Dame Helen Mirren, four times Academy Award nominee, stepping into a role which was not (laughs) designed for her. It wasn't designed for anyone, really. It doesn't exist. Um, Where basically, well, what can you say? What we have here is we have an old woman who has lost her husband, lost her child. Um, She's inherited a very successful arms business and has proceeded basically to have some sort of mental breakdown Um, to the point where other... Um, executives in the business, other share owners, I imagine, start to question her mental state yeah. and basically send a doctor to her house to assess her mental state and see whether she is still fit to be running this business. Um, and that's basically the plot. Is Helen Mirren's character mentally stable and fit to run a business? And I think that, that plot is sustained for a little bit. Mm. And then we are told otherwise. Yeah. Essentially, what what are we saying here? That that actually what she is seeing and what she is doing is actually fine. They don't yeah. they don't hold on to any of. The so ev- everyone knows that she's basically back crazy, um, or that's what people believe. Um, so the company hires this doctor who is played by Jason Clark to go and carry out a um, a medical assessment. So. Obviously, people are concerned about her mental state. Uh, Jason Clark plays uh, Dr. Price, I believe it is, who who goes to carry out this mental assessment. And, I mean, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I have no medical qualifications. But I can tell you quite quickly that she appears insane. Firstly, her husband has died. Uh, her daughter has died. She spent the last 25 years building her house, extending her house 24 hours a day. And then as soon as the doctor arrives, we just see her walking around the house in a black cloak holding a candle. Clearly this woman isn't well. Oh, but wait. No. There's a mysterious twist. Actually, she is sane. And the reason she's walking around in black and talking to these ghosts is because they actually exist. And they don't even try to hide that fact at all. And, you know, the the doctor is poisoning himself <laughs> yeah so this is quite funny so you have a doctor who's sent to do a psychiatric examination on a woman and all he does in his spare time is drink and poison himself to the point where he is literally unconscious it's b- ridiculous I, I, I don't even know 
why so, they got appointed oh, him. Well, they do. They do touch upon it ever so slightly, don't they? Why? Well, because Sarah Winchester was the reason she he was brought there, wasn't Oh, he? yeah, we have some... Red- but it was so pointless. This further, this silly plot twist. But anyway, we have this drug addict doctor who who turns up and, you know, we're led to believe that uh, Helen Mirren's character is just completely crazy. Um, and then there's, like, no subtlety. So I think, oh, here we go. They're going down this ridiculous haunted house um, theme. Um, but they don't even do it subtly. So within the first 20 minutes of the film, there's just, like, ghosts popping up. Mm. Like, you know, there's that one ridiculous scene where that, like, dead child pops up with a pitchfork. Um, Yeah, it's just every couple of minutes, isn't it? It's like... Boo! Yeah, and I jumped twice in this film, and you don't jump because you're scared. You jump because out of nowhere, for no reason, a ghost will pop up with the loudest bang like like the atomic bomb <laughs> has been placed in the cinema and you jump not because you're scared but because you literally can't help it because it's so bloody loud and i mean the the script is bad um the acting is pretty poor the film is really slow we have that ridiculous uh, laugh out loud moment where the child character is just walking around with a sack on his head mm. um but then we have an even more ridiculous moment where we both looked at each other and thought Oh no, oh. not to him again. So um the gentleman Craig will look his name up while I um talk about him, who was in um Angus Sampson, there you go, who was in uh Insidious The Last Key and we roasted him for his terrible performance, pops up in this film and gives an equally bad performance. Um so I think he's a curse for I these don't films. Know what he is. So so what we have is we have this doctor who turns up to do this medical assessment. Obviously, all of the other people who are involved in the business want him basically to write, this lady's insane, take her uh, majority share away from her, um, because she believes that this house is haunted by ghosts and spirits that have been killed by her rifle. Um, or The, or the, the Winchester the repeating Winche- rifle. The Winchester rifle, which her company makes. Um, and like I said, the, 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 it just goes into this ridiculous, and I mean ridiculous, um, vendetta of ghosts popping up and there's no subtlety. So good horror will plant an idea in your mind like a seed mm. and let your mind go with it. I've spoke to you before about, think about Jaws and how scary that film was and we don't even see the shark no. because it just builds tension. This was just, ghost, ghost, bloody, oh, well, there's Angus Sampson with a hot, another horror show of a performance. <laughs> you know, poor Helen Mirren. Um, she honestly... Uh, have we played a clip yet? No, we haven't. No, we haven't. Listen to Helen Mirren in this clip and try not to laugh. This clip sums the film up and sums up how bad it is, really. So, why all the noise? Why all this construction? They want me to build, Doctor. The spirits. Killed by the rifle. They guide me. Guide you in drawing building plans? Yes. You see, once their rooms are completed, their presence grows stronger. Hence the house that spirits built. Yes. At the chime of midnight, they clamor. The bells summon them. They communicate through plans and drawings. They want me to reconstruct the rooms that they died in. Then they can enter our world. The trouble is, I don't always know who it is I'm speaking with. It, it could be some innocent bystander or, or a victim of a crime or someone else. <laughs> you don't believe any of this, I understand. Ma'am, I do not. I do not believe. It is absolutely oh. terrible. <laughs> the drawings, oh, the building plans. What was that clip about, really? Oh, dear. So that oh. clip basically sums up the film. Um, as you can tell, I mean, Helen Mirren sounds completely crazy. Mm. Um, so this doctor turns up and he's thinking, blimey, what have I got myself in for here? You know, she is completely nuts. And then the doctor starts seeing the ghosts boom, that are popping up really just at ludicrous times. Like at dinner, they're having a nice candlelit dinner and then suddenly a ghost pops up, you know, as it does. 
Um, and then he starts to justify this, saying, the, "These, the, it's all in my mind. This isn't real. This isn't real. I, I only believe in what I can see because I am a doctor. It must be the poison I'm taking. <laughs> <laughs> it must be hallucinations. Helen Mirren's uh, character, Sarah Winchester, then... I mean, she lets, she sets down some pretty strict rules from the beginning to, if you're going to stay in her mm. ever-expanding house. She says, you're not allowed to take poison in my house, so the poison is taken away. But guess what? He continues to see the ghosts. But no, they're not real. It must be the withdrawals from the poison that I've been <laughs> taking. Um, and then more and more ghosts come, and he seems to conclude that actually Helen Mirren isn't a fruitcake, that these are real ghosts. Um and there's no subtlety to that either. Oh, there's no subtlety. And there's just no subtlety to and the entire film, really. I mean, the CGI is, yeah. is terrible. Um, the, the, the soundtrack is terrible. The acting's terrible. The, the film is terrible. And also, Cray really made me laugh. So this is a... The, the, the house is being built for 20-odd years. It's got 107 rooms. But what did you say about the, the, the rooms? I can't remember what did I say. Just about in the, the rooms? sense that they they tell you that this and they show you in the, in a terrible CGI form how big the house is, and then the whole film is shot in about oh, two yeah, rooms. Yeah, it, it looks like there's about two <laughs> corridors and about eight rooms altogether. And it's really badly made set, so you can tell it's a set, and it's always in that same corridor or that same living room. So you you hear about how big this house is, you see it, and, and then the whole film is shot in oh, like three rooms. Just what a shit film. Um, is Helen it, Mirren is a fantastic is it, actress. Is it worth it? Uh, I think we should just go straight into that, really. I don't think there's any more we need to say Helen about Helen Mirren this is a fantastic actress, but she doesn't want to have anything to do with this. She's clearly agreed to do it. She's realised how bad it is, and as you heard from the clip, she's just like, I want to get my paycheck and go. It's no reflection on her as an actress, because she's superb, but Craig asked me the question. Is it worth it? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Honestly... Do not waste £10 going to see this in the cinema because this is a really, really bad film, bad plot, bad acting, bad CGI. Um, oh, it, it really it's is. Endless. It's It's a really poor film. It is not worth seeing in the cinema. Um, and save your money. Yeah, save your money and go and see Journey's End. Yes, go and see Journey's End. I would even say, Craig, I would even say, if you want to see a horror film... Oh, I can't. You are going to say Insidious, weren't you? Well, if, it's better if, than this. It, it, believe it or not, folks, Insidious The Last Key is better than Winchester, and that shows you just how awful this film is. Oh, the drawings. Cheers. Welcome back. We've just had a ten-minute break. We've had to endure... 10 minutes of David doing Robert De Niro impressions. He's doing it again right now. I'm watching you, fucker. I'm watching you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, moving swiftly on from yeah, that. David is going to be reviewing Den of Thieves now. Uh, this is obviously a film that he's seen. I haven't. Uh, so if you want to crack on with that, David. I will. So Den of Thieves, we have um, another Gerard Butler shoot 'em up film, I suppose. Um, when I saw the trailer for this film, I was expecting a really quite short, action-packed thriller. And that's not really what I got with this film. Uh, and before I go on to that, I will explain a little bit about it. Um, basically, this is a, a crime saga uh, which follows uh, quite an elite unit of the LA, uh, LA County Sheriff's Department, um, where Gerard Butler is one of the main uh, sheriffs in that department. And what they're trying to do is find this group, this gang of bank robbers that have carried out a number of heists quite successfully. And this whole film revolves around them trying to carry out the ultimate bank heist on the American Federal Reserve Bank. So you've got Gerard Butler, who plays Big Nick O'Brien, and then the bank robbing crew, which includes the likes of uh, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson and also uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ice Cube. Um, and yeah, uh, I think the film is really well summed up by this clip. So have a listen and then I'll give my review. Big Nick, original gangster cop in the flesh. What's the tally? Four dead, six on the way to the hospital. I tell you, he's a bad guy. I'm gonna make you a deal. Give me the names of all the guys who got away. I'll get you a medic. Ain't no snitch. Yo. He's done, son. Why the fireworks? One of the Vicks said the messenger went for his gun. That's when it popped off. Talked to the armored car company. What was the haul? They were en route to a bank pickup for a fed drop, but there was nothing in the truck. Nothing in the truck? They stole a fucking empty armor truck? Yep. 
dealing with a different animal here, boys. Okay, lift Prince, see who he rolls with. Come find me that fucking truck. So that's a clip from very, very early on in the film, and you could hear uh, Big Nick O'Brien, played by Gerard Butler, who plays this sort of bad cop. So he's obviously quite hench. He's fond of a cigarette. He's fond of a whiskey. He's also got a terrible diet, and you see him eating various things, that you know, donuts and burgers throughout the film. And in the in the opening scene, which you just heard a clip from, he then proceeds to sort of throw the donut onto the crime scene. So you've got this character who really is a bit of a... Bad cop? Bad cop, yeah. Um, and the film starts... I really like the opening of this film, actually. So you have an aerial shot of uh, Los Angeles, and it gives you um, some statistics. So a bank is robbed this many times in a year. That correlates to this many times in a month, this many times in a week. And the statistics are alarming. It means that every 48 minutes in Los Angeles, there is a bank robbery. Now, obviously, these are going to be of um, differing magnitude, but every 48 minutes, so that's 24, 25 bank robberies a day in Los Angeles. So this is a serious problem, and it's a serious problem because of the gun problem in America. Mm. And this film, if if this film achieves anything, it shows you the magnitude of the gun problem in America. Um, So you kick off with this opening scene where you see this um, bank robbery gone wrong, or what appears to have gone wrong, where they turn up, they're trying to uh, rob this uh, armoured truck. Um, One of the security guards goes to pull his weapon. He ends up getting shot. There's then a ridiculous gun scene where I think four police officers are killed, six are injured. They end up stealing the truck, but there's nothing in it. Um, And this sets you up for the the storyline that's to come. Um, and I do quite like this opening scene. Um, and it does really throw you in. And it makes you think, wow, this is going to be a really action-packed film. But actually it isn't. Um, the film then tries to become, like I said, like a really gritty crime saga. It tries to be really, really clever and really, really smart. So there's lots of plot twists and there's, you know, well we were going to rob this bank, but we're actually we're not going to rob this bank. You know, we're, we're, we're going to rob that bank, but the police go to this bank. And film tries to be really, really clever. Um, and this sort of gritty crime drama. But it doesn't work. It just doesn't work like that. Seeing the trailer, seeing the cast, I wanted a really quick, fired, action-packed film. Yeah. Um, but you don't really get that. I said the main uh element of this story is the this group of four guys who try and pull off the biggest bank robbery ever where they try and basically rob the federal reserve bank which is the bank of banks so this the federal reserve is where they keep the money that the bank can't have so we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars and there is quite a good scene where they explain how this is the unrobbable bank and they they spend about 2 minutes listing the reasons why this bank can't be robbed and then they're like but we're going to rob it so and and that's okay if you go for an action-packed shoot-em-up bank robbing film but it doesn't work if you try and make it serious which is what this film tries to do it tries to have this serious element to it and it just doesn't work because of that and like i said to you this film is way 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 too long the film is two hours and 20 minutes now, I can tell you, having seen this, you could cut 30 minutes of this film, any 30 minutes in the middle, just take the 30-minute slice out and you would, and it wouldn't affect the film at all. The film is too long and there's a, there's a scene where uh, Gerard Butler breaks down into tears, which is to try and show the audience that he is human and, he, and he's not just this bad cop with a drinking problem who doesn't really care for anyone but himself. But again, that doesn't work. We don't want to see Gerard Butler crying. We want to see Gerard Butler shooting people. Kicking ass. And, you know, yeah. and being Gerard Butler. So the film had potential. And I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad film, but it's just too long. And it tries to be clever. And if you try and be clever, particularly when it comes to stuff like bank robbing, bank robbing, you know, you, you have to get your your script right and and there, it has to be bulletproof and there has to be no holes but there are loads of holes in this and the main hole is here's two minutes of reasons why this bank can't be robbed but we're going to go ahead and do it anyway mm. but then how did it how did it end and not don't give it away but so obviously I don't want to give the ending away but the strange thing about this film is that I've said you know it's 2 hours 20 minutes and then the ending feels really rushed um some people will say it's a clever ending I don't think it is a particularly clever ending. Um, 
I think it it just feels rushed and it's so strange because you're sort of sitting through this film thinking, blimey, this is going on and on and on. And then it's like the director's looked at his watch and gone, bloody hell, this has gone on a bit. Let's end it. <laughs> and it just ends really, really quickly. Um, Pablo Schreiber's in this film. He plays the sort of lead gangster. And I think he gives a very good performance. Gerard Butler gives a good performance. Um, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. Uh, there's a couple of moments in this film where he's all right, but he's really in the film because he's 50 Cent yeah. and it looks cool in the trailer. Um, Ice Cube, so um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. He actually is quite an accomplished actor um, and he's all right in this film. But... <laughs> This film tries to be really clever and I just don't think it hits the... It, it, it aspires to be something that ultimately it can't be and it can't be it because the plot isn't strong enough and the script isn't strong enough. So is it worth it? I'm going to say no. Den of Thieves is not worth seeing at the cinema. One, because it's too long. And two, I think you'll come out feeling unsatisfied. Um this is the sort of film that is worth watching um, if, if if you're into these sort of bank-robbing heist films and you like Jared Butler and you like 50 Cent, you won't be disappointed. But it's not something I would recommend going to see at the cinema. Um, the shooting scenes are very impressive in the cinema, but it, I, it's just too long, Craig. You know, it really is just too long. If you could cut this film by about 35, 40 minutes and just, you know, sharpen it up a little bit and a little bit more action then I think it would be more enjoyable. It tries to be a gritty drama, but at the same time, it tries to be a gangster shoot 'em up film with you know two very well-known rap artists, and it doesn't achieve either. So for me, it isn't worth it. Okay, thank you very much. Hello, my name's Paul Newbegin, and I host a podcast called The Pass. Now, what you're listening to is quality audio right now, but if you're thinking to yourself... Oh, I like people talking, chatting, generally dicking about, but I want a little spice of food thrown into the mix. Well, the part is for you, because we talk to the greatest chefs in the UK. Think Andrew Pern, Tom Aikins, Paul Ainsworth, Dan Doherty, all the names that you'll be familiar with on MasterChef, uh, Great British Menu, The Lot. Check out The Pass on iTunes, Acast, and anywhere else you get your lovely podcasts from. Cheers. Big kiss. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> it was me singing Blue Moon. <laughs> lovely. Thank you for the rendition there. Uh, so... We've come to the end of this week's episode. Um, we're just going to read out a couple of tweets that we've had. Um, so this week we've been asking people what the worst film they've seen in the cinema is. And we've had a couple of people say uh, things like The Hulk with Eric Banner. Uh, <laughs> Paul Newbegin from the past has said that, that it was a god-awful film. I distinctly remember throwing a sweet at the screen and hitting The Hulk in boredom. Uh, whilst we don't... Um, That's Paul Newbegin. That is Paul Newbegin, yeah. Who has the podcast. Yeah. we The oh, Pass. The Pass. <laughs> Um, we've had somebody else, I think it was Karen Woodham, has said that she didn't like uh, The Devil's Inside. Uh, no, no, The Devil Inside. The, de the Devil's Not Inside. The Devil's Inside. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the Devil has a, what is it, an endoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, and we've had Beer Matt Movies has said that Peppa Pig, The Golden Boots. No, Peppa Pig and The Golden Peppa Boots. Peppa Pig and The Golden oh, Boots. Oh, Craig, you can't read I can't today. Read. No, I just need my glasses, that's what I need. Um... And uh, we've actually had a tweet about Den of Thieves as well. Do you want to read that one out? Uh? Yes. Yeah, so this is from Rob, who says, I saw Den of Thieves last night with Gerard Butler at the helm. My expectations were understandably very low. Mm -hmm. But to my surprise, the film was very entertaining. Even with a generic plot plus nods to Heat slash Inside Man, it has a great score and is engaging performance by Butler. Worth a watch. Thanks very much, Rob. Some very fair points made there. Yeah, it is worth a watch. I just think it's a little bit long, but um, I, I really agree with what you said there about the generic plot. But, um, thank you very much for tweeting us, and I'm pleased you enjoyed the film. Yes, thank you very much, all of you, for getting in touch. If you'd like to get in touch with us like Paul has, or like Karen or Rob... Paul. 
the pass. <laughs> <laughs> Always got to give it a bit of a plug. Um, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at film is worth it. You can email us. My mail is worth it at gmail.com or you can get in touch with us on Facebook. Uh, we've got a number of reviews coming up with, from uh, week four of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. We've got Tad the Explorer. We'll also be reviewing uh, the new Marvel film, Black Panther. Uh, we've got The Mercy. With Colin Firth. <laughs> uh, and then we've also got 1517 to Paris. Uh, we should also be bringing to you The Shape, Shape of, of Water. Water. Um, we saw that the, uh, a week early um, and we have reviewed that. And this could be a controversial review. Yeah, it could be. I think, I think you've got some fairly solid points to I've discuss. got some interesting points. Yeah. Craig's a big, big fan of this film. I'm not a huge fan but it's been nominated for a lot of Oscars. Um, so we really would like to hear from you about The Shape of Water in particular, which we will, we will do. <laughs> we will be reviewing on next week's show. Um, I, I unfortunately seem to have lost the ability to speak. Wow, it's the end of the show, isn't it? It is the end of the show. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, yes, thank you very much for listening. Um, I have been David Long, and this has been a very poorly dressed Craig Fields. Ah, oh, for goodness sake. Thank you very much. <laughs> we Goodbye. would like to thank no, you. No, no more thanking. Get it's lost. The Pooh Shallow no, Jumper. No more, no more. The terrible no, Corbin no, Jumper. No. I'm sorry. Ooh.